We uh, welcome in our pal Joe Klatt, lead college football analyst at uh, Fox Sports and a man who once sat in the chair that you sit in on this show. He joins us now, presented by Audi Flatirons. Morning, Joel. Good morning. What's up, boys? Well, let's start right there. Did you get a chance to look at CU's schedule and just kind of your your feelings about being back in the Big 12? Well, you, you know, in, in some respects, yes, it does feel more proper. You know, I, I mean, I grew up when it was the Big 8 and then played in the Big 12. And I'm kind of like you, Mike. It just never, it never... You know, it never quite came around for me in the Pac-12, uh, in particular with their lack of leadership and where the conference went after they joined it in terms of its national standing. And, and this feels more like uh, a, a move that was, yes, made because I think it can be better and it's a better fit. But also, you know, to, to Mark's point, and you guys, it was a game of, of musical chairs and you had to find a seat or else you become the pack two, which I'm worried about the pack two as well. If you know what I mean, stink. So yeah, I mean like th- this was born out of necessity and, and I think that it can be good, but the, the landscape in this sport is changing so fast. Um, I don't, I don't know how long this current makeup is going to last to be quite honest with you. Um, I think that we're going to continue to move toward uh, two major conferences, maybe three major conferences. And, and I think that the best part for CU, aside from the schedule, I, I just think from a more broad basis, the best part for CU is that they're tied to an engine in the Big 12 that is, that is captained by, if you, if you want to say it that way, a guy in Brett Yormark, the commissioner, that is very forward-thinking and, and a hard charger. And he is a guy that is about 8 billion times better than the leadership of what the Pac-12 had over the course of the last decade. And I think that that bodes well for the future of that conference. Hey, Joel, what about um, Deion Sanders? He was on with Skip Bayless yesterday and talked about you know, we're close to getting a defensive coordinator. I'm going after a pro guy. I want a pro guy. You know, now you've got, you know, a guy that used to be a pro offensive coordinator in Pat Shermer on the offensive side, going to go after a professional, you know, guy from professional football to be on your defensive side. Why is that good, bad? Like, what is your opinion of why you would do that and, and what it means for CU? I think that the college game has changed uh, a, a bit. I think that you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, there was a distinct difference in the schematics with which how you, you know, would succeed at, at that level versus the NFL level. And I think that the two have come closer together. I think that the offenses, because of the, the mobility and athleticism of quarterbacks, has, in the NFL, moved closer schematically to what the college game is. And the college game has moved also towards the NFL. And I don't think people have have really acknowledged that as much. But when you look at the, the top end of college football, what you'll see in particular on the defensive side is that the schematics mirror more what the, the NFL is doing. Look at what the Ravens did and the Michigan uh, team did. Michigan wins the national championship. Ravens have the best defense in football. And even though they got beat, it wasn't because of their defense, which only gave up 17 points. You know, And that was a very similar, if not completely identical, structure. Um, and, and so this, this idea that, that defense is becoming, um, I think, translatable between the two levels is, is a good one. And, and I think that 
from his perspective, Coach Prime's perspective, that's the type of defense that, that he wants at, at Colorado. It helps you recruit. It helps you get those style of players, but it's also more effective. And, and what you're seeing is because of the RPO, the run-pass option uh, schematics at the college level, certainly, and then even in the NFL, the schematics are so similar of how you have to play. You have to play more zone because the RPO will just kill man coverage. You don't have enough quality players to, to play man coverage. So you've got to play zone coverage to some extent, but that zone coverage has to have hybrid second-level players to cover up some of those holes in, in terms of the zone movement keys that the RPO is, is looking at. You've got to create pressure. You've got to create pressure with four and five and maybe six. How do you do that? How do you prevent the, the and limit the explosive play? All of those things are, are what that style of defense does, and I think that's why he wants to implement it at Colorado. Busy with Joe Clapp, presented by Audi Flatirons. If uh, you are ranking the coaches in the AFC West, we will, of course, leave Andy Reid at number one, but does the arrival of Jim Harbaugh with the Chargers automatically make him the second-best coach in the AFC West ahead of Sean Payton? Well, one of those guys has won a Super Bowl, um, but the other one has a better quarterback. So, you know, at, at the college level, the head coach is to the program what the quarterback is to the organization at the NFL level. And as much as I, I love Jim Harbaugh and Sean Payton, to be honest, I just – if, if we've learned anything over the last three years, four years, five years in New England, it's that coaches at the NFL level, I hate to say this, but are overrated. I mean, n- name a coach that, that overcomes a quarterback. It's not many. It, it just really isn't. Now, that doesn't mean coaches are unimportant. They obviously are important to some degree, but it is incredibly rare that, that a coach basically outperforms on a, on a long basis, the ability of his quarterback. That's why, I mean, everyone's like, well, Andy's the best. Oh, look at him. Well, there was a time when Andy Reed was getting run out of town because he couldn't win the big one. Why? Cause he didn't have quality quarterback play in Philadelphia. So the better coach in the AFC West is going to be Jim Harbaugh because he has a better quarterback. Now, having said that, I would also just throw this out there that one of the few times that we have seen in recent memory, a coach take a, uh, what I would consider to be a very average player at that position and have top end success with him. It was Jim Harbaugh with the San Francisco 49ers. So, you know, th- this guy, I know people love to take shots at him for whatever reason. He has won at, at a major clip everywhere that he's been, whether it's San Diego or Stanford or San Francisco or Michigan. And he is an incredible team builder. Uh, Sean obviously won a Super Bowl. He did that with Drew Brees, and he's trying to recreate something in, in Denver. But to answer the question, I think Jim Harbaugh is one of the best coaches in the sport of football, period. I would agree with it. I just think he's a, I think he's a really, really good coach, and obviously he's got a great quarterback. And so there's some stuff coming out of the Senior Bowl in regards to 
Sean Payton and the organization Denver wanted to move up in the draft. I'm assuming number one spot is not going to be for sale. Like I'm assuming Caleb Williams is going to go to Chicago. So what would be your thought about moving from 12? Who would you go get? Would it be the Daniels kid? Would it be the May kid? Like if, if that was you and that information is correct, what do you think they would target? I think that the, the two guys I'm, I'm most confident in are, are Caleb Williams and, and Drake May. If you can't get to Williams, I think that you try to get to Drake May. Now, his, his team didn't have the success that, that I think that they probably could have or should have. But, man, like when you watch the tape of Drake May, you're like, oh, yep, that's it. That's a hundred percent it. Um, he is he is outstanding, and and the quarterbacks in general are really good in this draft. If you can't get him, then you start getting players that ha- that you've got to get over some sort of major hurdle with. You know, whether it's Michael Penix's uh, injury history, um, Jaden Daniels is he's got a slight frame for a guy that likes to run around. Um, that's you, that worries you a little bit, in particular from from an injury perspective. Um, Bo Nix would almost every year have at least one, but sometimes multiple times in big games where he didn't play his best. Um, so you know you can make an argument that well, you know, what is he going to be at the top end when when the level of play increases? But those top two, Williams and May, man, they, they translate um, in a major way. And obviously, Williams, just because of his, his ultimate talent, if you can't get to him, boy, I would, I would do everything I possibly could to get to May. What do you think of Daniels as a passer? He's a good passer. He is a good passer. I, I think that his accuracy improved every year that I watched him. Um, I thought this last year was obviously as a, as a Heisman winner, his, his best year. Um, the, the pause that you're hearing in, in my evaluation of, of Jaden Daniels is, is that I think that the, some of the shine on Daniels is because of the production and, and yes, like he, he's fantastic and you can turn on plays and clips and stretches of games where you're just like, Wow. Like that's, that's really good. And there's certainly that now they, they also got into a mode where they were out of their division race. They were out of a playoff spot race and went to basically the goal of their season was his production and, and potentially winning a Heisman trophy for him personally. So you see a, a tremendous amount of production production against bad opponents. Um, again, that doesn't mean he's a bad player. When he throws the football, he's he's way more accurate now. He played much better in terms of rhythm. I think that when I saw him at Arizona State, you know, there were some things that were concerning. But moving to LSU in the last two years, and in particular what you saw this last year, is a guy that understands how to play in rhythm. He understands how to play, I would say, accurate football. And, and those things will translate. Busy with Joe Clatt. Joe, I want to go back to Harbaugh real quick because since he's now in, in the division, what was the number? How many Michigan games have you done over the last few years? I, I know you gave us Oh, gosh. In the last three since COVID, I believe it was 16. Okay. And so you've had a lot of 
dealings with with Jim Harbaugh. I'm just I'm just kind of curious for for somebody who's been in the college game for a while, hasn't been in the NFL in a decade. Is there anything about Harbaugh that you can point to that would be a red flag in terms of jumping back into the NFL and dealing with NFL teams and NFL players? Okay, so pre-COVID, I would have said yes. And and even though he was having success to some degree, th- there was a rigidity uh, there. And, uh, you know, I think that that rigidity came in the form of I feel like he he thought he knew best all the time, you know, and and so he was a hard driver. They were good football teams. They were fundamentally sound. There were all these things, and yet there there was kind of this. I don't know what I'm, I'm, the word is escaping me, but the, there wasn't a joy to the way that the players talked about the program, talked about the coaching staff. You know, there wasn't an ownership that the players had. I think because of that, he had a lot of success, but it never translated to the top, top end because of that. And, you know, some would say it like this, and and forgive the blunt analogy, but, you know, those around the 49ers talked about him as, like, they said, and again, this is not my analogy, and again, I apologize for the, the bluntness of this, but that, Jim as a coach was like chemotherapy. It worked, but it took its toll. Does that make sense? And, and after COVID he totally changed, completely changed guys. I can't tell you the shift in the way that he would deal with us, deal with his players. In the last 16 times that I met with Michigan, their players were effusive in their praise of Jim Harbaugh and love for him. And they would talk about how much he's given the program back to them and how much of a player's coach he, he, he became and how many times he would talk about how, how much he loved them and appreciated their effort. And so the entire culture at Michigan was vastly different in 2021, 22, and 23 than it was when I was there from, you know, 2015 through 2020, covering him before that point. So I actually think that even though he did have success with the 49ers and he's always been a great coach, he's at his best currently. And I think he's more suited now to have success in the NFL than he was even with the 49ers and even with all the success that they had because he is still the rigid fundamental physical nature, everything that you need out of your football team physically, he's still going to provide that. And yet from an emotional standpoint, he builds a culture where the players feel empowered and they feel like it's their locker room. And that's why Michigan ended up winning the national championship. That's why they ended up beating Ohio state the last three years. It was that it wasn't what was going on schematically necessarily it was this belief and culture within their program that permeated because of his shift and that shift, not to get too into it, but there's a book and I've mentioned it before called a season of life. A season of life is a book about uh, an author who was a ball boy back in the 1970s with the old Baltimore Colts and a guy that, that he was close to was, it was a defensive lineman for the Baltimore Colts named Joe Ehrman. 
And, and this author was going to write a book about the, the closing and tearing down of old Memorial Stadium in Baltimore. And so he wanted to go back and talk to some of these old players. Well, he connects with Joe Ehrman, and Joe's a high school football coach. And Joe's having success as a high school football coach with this other guy named Biff Pogey. And Biff is, is a guy that's all about culture. And, and Biff was a, a, a renowned high school football coach in the Baltimore area and coached a lot of great players. And, and all they would do is focus on culture and talking about loving their players and their players loving each other. Well, this book is a phenomenal book. Well, it turns out Biff, he has a son who ends up walking on at Michigan. Jim Harbaugh hires him at Michigan after the COVID year. And Biff came in and was basically Jim Harbaugh's mentor and counselor throughout the last couple of years. Biff moved on this last year. He's now the head coach at Charlotte. But it's, it's that change and shift that has totally changed Jim and I think will make him a better NFL coach now than he was even with the 49ers. Sorry for the long answer. Uh, no, it's, it's a great, it is a great book and it is a great story. I, I mean, yeah, I heard stories about 76 kids on, on Michigan getting baptized this year. And it, there's some cool stuff coming out of there. No question about it. Joel, we appreciate you, buddy. You're the best, man. I love it. See you guys. Have All a good right. one, okay? There he goes. As always, Joe Clapp presented by uh, Audi Flatirons.